0: Good morning. It is seven minutes after 11 o'clock, and Jennifer Bukowski is our guest on The Gary Nolan Show. Tomorrow, we'll have the Secretary of State on board with us, uh, Jay Ashcroft. Uh, We will hear from uh, the Epic News, what a great news source that is, and of course, my favorite economist, Uh, which, by the way, is going to be important because uh, right now, if I'm not mistaken, Congress is being, uh, well, they're chatting about (laughs) the interest rate hike. Uh, that is uh, undoubtedly imminent uh, because, frankly, inflation is still out of control. So we'll get to all that tomorrow. In the meantime, with Jennifer Bukowski on board, let's talk about Ocasio-Cortez who says she cares about the little person. She cares about the poor and the mm-hmm. middle class. Yet she tried to stiff everybody that put together her dress uh, and outfit for that gala. That, it, By the way, uh that was, what, uh, I think uh, $30,000 a ticket or $35,000? $35,
1: 35000 a ticket. She and her boyfriend, she wanted to go. She wanted to bring her boyfriend. She was warned, look, look, this violates house ethics rules for you to accept the ticket as a gift. And you can only attend a, this charity event if the charity itself invites you. Well, she tried to finagle her way in anyway. They found it was okay because she got Anna Wintour and Vogue magazine to give her tickets as gifts. And they said, okay, I guess that's close enough because, you know, when tour of Vogue magazine works so closely with the Met Gala. But she she cares so much about the little people, Gary, that she wanted flocks of them on their, literally on their knees surrounding her as they dress her in this beautiful gown, wearing face masks. She's too good to be doing that. Doing her makeup, doing her hair, doing her nails crawling on the ground, prepping her dress, spending out of their own pockets $4,000 for a hotel suite for this entourage to get her ready for the ball, which is the preeminent, you know, social and elite gathering in the country. And, uh, and she stepped them. Uh, she has eventually paid them back, but the investigation found that all, all kinds of people are not paid back. The only person paid that day was a manicurist.
0: Yeah, she and demanded her pay up to, Yeah,
1: demand to the money there. <laughs> <laughs> so she's probably worked with flaky uh, politicians, celebs like this before and knew to ask for that. But uh, yeah, so she had all this. She had people knocking all kinds of money out their bills. I'm telling you, they said that uh, they decided to call that dress the custom dress they made just for her. A rental and knocked the bill for down from three thousand to nine ninety. And let me tell you, Gary, for twenty three hundred and nine ninety, twenty three hundred was already knocked way down. If you're getting a dress like that, you know, designed by fashion designers and made with all those materials, you cannot get something made like that for that kind of money. And so they're already doing a, her a huge solid by pretending like it costs a lot less than it actually did cost them or they would have charged anyone else that was going to that gala.
0: What a sweetheart she is. And they keep electing her. I mean, they've elected her, what, three times now, at least twice. Uh, you would think that the people in, in her district would go, this, this woman's a phony and a communist. But no, they, they keep. Voting for
1: she's a she's a politician, Gary, and she's a survivor. She's been called out by some of her own people for selling them out, and you know, going with the establishment and being pro-war and everything else with Ukraine. And uh, she doesn't care, and she's in there. And I think we got to just get ready for her to be around quite a while as she figures out how to get more and more powerful. Because I wouldn't underestimate her, even though she seems dumb, and from what she says, she doesn't understand a lot of things, but she does understand how to get attention and celebrity and she's wielding power and clout that way so far.
0: What's that old saying? It's better to appear stupid and remain silent than open your mouth and remove all doubt. And she <laughs> clearly has, uh, when it comes to economics, has done just that. Uh, tell me about this Trump-aligned lawyer getting uh, they're, they're trying to disbar. Why? What, what did he do?
1: Well, he represented Cassidy Hutchinson who worked for the White House and he was apparently paid by Team Trump. And I will say, Gary, this really bothers me. And I don't have a problem with them going after his law license because I've seen this on both sides where, you know, people have lawyers hired for them who are only working in the interest of whichever side of some sort of political dispute they're supposed to be on and not actually for. To the benefit of the witness involved and this guy supposedly told her to lie or say that she couldn't remember and all these other things as a lawyer those are unethical things to do you can't be telling people to lie under oath you can't tell them to be, and i've seen this over and over and just as a self-respecting attorney that I'm an ethical attorney. If I have a client, that is my client, and I'm fighting for that client's best interest. But every time we see one of these hearings, I see both sides do it. Mark Elias and his kind of ilk on the left. They'll get someone that they're supposedly representing to testify against Trump, and they're using them. And they don't actually act as their advocates, but advocates for their side. Or like, does Kavanaugh accusers got lawyers, you know? They're not watching out for their client's so-called clients' best interest. They're looking out for whoever's paying them behind the scenes' best interest. And so whether it's our side that does it or their side that does it, it's wrong. Either way, that's what I say. These allegations are true.
0: I admire that kind of honesty. Um, Maybe you should run for office. Uh, Let me, (laughs) me, uh, because we're really running short on time and we've got a lot of topics left. Michael Knowles uh, talking to Tucker Carlson about genocide, uh, explain.
1: Well, he was at CPAC, and he he said that transgenderism, this gender ideology, needs to be eradicated. Well, I mean, one could predict how that's going to be misconstrued, and it was. And the headlines that came out of it were that he was calling for transgender people to be eradicated, but he was clearly speaking about the ideology of transgenderism and how it's hurting the actual people that succumb to it and in order to help them we need to stop giving into it and treating it uh, this is his argument we need to stop going along with it and so he was on tucker uh... talking about how he had been called basically hitler and everything else and compared to you know calls to eradicate. There, there were so many tweets like well i'm not saying eradicate Uh, Jews, just Judaism, you know, they're saying that's what he would have said in 1939, like he was asking, asking for an attack on a group of people. It's not what he was saying.
0: Well, but let's hear he was it
1: using very strong language.
0: Let's hear his response or his, his commentary here uh, in real time.
2: The clearest example of this is the battle over transgenderism. On the one side of the debate, you've got the liberals who argue that third graders should be taught to change their sex in schools. On the other side of the debate, you've got the conservatives who say that we should wait until fourth grade. doesn't seem like much of a difference to me. The problem with transgenderism is not that it's inappropriate for children under the age of nine. The problem with transgenderism is that it isn't true. The
0: problem. No, it isn't true. Uh, it is uh, it is a canard and they are ruining children's lives. Uh, all right. Uh, we wouldn't have Jennifer on without a Harry and Meghan story. Chris Rock was uh, well, he finally came out and talked about the giant slap. And uh, an Illinois wife took eight months to find the mummified corpse of her missing husband. How could that possibly be? Well, that story stinks, but we'll tell you about it next on the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. It's eleven nineteen, and Jennifer Bukowski's on the Gary Nolan Show. woman uh, took eight months to find the mummified corpse of her missing husband after he killed himself uh, in a... Closet in their house. Um, you you know you gotta have a pretty nasty smelling house to not notice that. Uh, what are the details, Jennifer?
1: It's really kind of a sad situation, but I guess the husband came home. He put his wallet and keys down, and he went into like a, a storage area that was off of a bedroom closet. And seldom you know, used area of the house and killed himself and the body got mummified so that apparently when that happens the smell is not nearly as bad but they couldn't find him they were looking everywhere for him you know the police searched the house multiple times they never found him and finally this lady this happened in April that so he apparently killed himself this lady goes and finds she decides to put Christmas decorations up after all <clears throat> and that's when she goes into that little used storage area and discover them. What a gruesome discovery, but you know, that it's apparently kind of a hoarder house and uh that is uh that's quite something. I feel sorry for that whole situation and I guess he avoided having to clean up out the house but I felt bad for her being left with such a mess.
0: I got some breaking news Uh, Apparently, uh, Missouri's Second Amendment preservation law has been overturned by an Obama judge in Kansas City uh, elevating the fight to the full Eighth Circuit, according to Missouri Firearms Coalition. I will try to get uh, a friend of mine, an attorney, a Second Amendment uh, uh, attorney, uh, to come on and uh, chat about this, because I am curious— on what grounds this federal judge decided that this law was unconstitutional? it I'll try to do that in the next half hour. Uh, but it seems to me that it's uh, there is nothing unconstitutional about it. That's the breaking news. All right, let's move on. Because what would a week without uh, Harry and Meghan be um, on the Gary Nolan show? Jennifer.
1: <laughs> well, I... Harry and Meghan are featured all over. Uh, the king is having a coronation, of course, and Harry and Meghan were, in fact, invited to it. And uh, they have not deigned to respond yet. Like they have anything better to do, they need more material for their books and Netflix specials and everything else. Harry is fresh off doing, you know, his live trauma counseling with a counselor. So you could pay. You could have paid forty bucks to see. They've lost their Frogmore cottage uh but they do have a suite of rooms in buckingham palace that apparently king charles kicked his brother andrew out of so that uh if they do decide to attend they'll have you know posh london digs that they will be able to use anyway which will suit their speed a lot more because the other that cottage was in windsor which is not in central london like buckingham palace certainly is but Chris Rock, it was uh, part of his special, I don't know if you caught that, but he took on folk culture and everything else. And he, he took on Megan Barkle. He's like, she she's a light skin lottery. But he, <laughs> said, he said that a lot of the stuff she's complaining about isn't racism, it's in-law. as word like, and he said, yeah, it's difficult for a black girl to go into a white family and get accepted. You know what's even more difficult? A white girl going into a black family and getting accepted. You know, you show up to Thanksgiving, your mama's going to say something. Like, why is there a social worker here? That's his joke. (laughs) (laughs) Mama, that's Becky. She's your daughter in law. We have three kids. We've been married 12 years. No, you know, I'm just kidding, Becky. (laughs) Uh, He said it's a lot harder the other way around. Yeah. It is like she is being quite whiny about the whole situation. Everyone has in-law problems, and I like how Chris Brock just pointed that out. He said, you know, he said, oh, they're so racist because they asked what color the baby would be. That ain't racist. Black people want to know how black the baby is going to be. That's like a normal thing. And I've been saying that the whole time, like wondering what the baby is going to look like when people get married. is not racism. It's like a normal thing that you do.
0: Yeah, everybody does. They speculate. And then uh, the kid comes out and for the first uh, month or two, the kid looks like Uncle Fester uh, from the Adams family. Yeah.
1: Alien, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, and then eventually someone says, oh, got his mother's eyes. Uh, that's just the way it works. Uh, we got one last uh, quick hit here and that's Alex what, what, What to add to that? I knew they'd find him guilty. Oh,
1: yeah, that was... That was without doubt, but he's claiming his sentence, I'm innocent. I don't know if he's deluded himself or what, but I'm even more shocked that his family is all standing behind him. I mean, did they not see the trial? We did. Did they not care about Paul Murda or Maggie Murdoch getting murdered by this man? It's it's bizarre to me, and I just don't get it. But they're moving up the proceedings on the Satterfield, the maid, the financial crimes for him. He'll have the same judge with that. Who just basically told him that you know other people would have gotten the death penalty for what you did, and you just the smirch sled, which is like their South, you know, Carolina law enforcement division. You smeared them this whole time on national TV. This judge is not pleased with Alex Murdaugh at all, and uh, it seems like Alex Murdaugh might be stuck with him for the trial for Gloria Satterfield, the stealing the millions of dollars from her family. Makes well, sense. I know that-
0: I don't understand how he could plead anything but guilty. I mean, he was under oath admitting that he stole all these funds.
1: Oh. Yeah. And now now I wonder, I thought that cross-examination of him was terrible, but I wonder if that prosecutor was just getting him on the record for the n- upcoming trial the following month, if that had something to do with it now. Because I'm like, why is he getting into the weeds with all of this stuff? Well, he has that trial next month on all these crimes, but now he's got him on the record. And he could show any kind of inconsistencies that he's made before and what he's made at trial. And the jury won't believe anything he says on that situation either.
0: Yeah, the guy is just, he's just lower than whale dung. I mean, he really.
1: Well, he's got a new career as a jailhouse lawyer uh, now ahead of him, doesn't he?
0: (laughs) Well, I wouldn't make a deal with him for, you know, like a carton of cigarettes or something because he'll rip you off. He'd, oh,
1: yeah. We'll be like, yeah, I'm working on your brief. I'm working on it. No, it won't be. It'll be like doing drugs that you made in the toilet or something like that.
0: Unbelievable. Jennifer, thank you for being with us this week. Uh, as a, as a usual, it was a pleasure. Thank you,
1: Gary. Talk to you next week.
0: All right. Sounds like a deal. Great to have you on. 874-9390. Toll-free 800-529-5572. So, <clears throat> apparently in Baltimore there is a bit of a a bit of a crime problem. Uh, these um, kids get involved in uh, crimes that end up with somebody dying and then, uh, you know, it's a felony. And, if you know, apparently this is a, a problem for minorities. But there is a Democrat who has worked out a solution to the plan, uh, to the problem. He, he has come up with a way to fix it so these kids, uh, these black kids, don't get in trouble when they uh, commit a crime that results in a death. So we'll get to that. I'll try to get some more information on the Second Amendment Preservation Act here in the state of Missouri. It's a pretty simple rule, pretty simple law. It makes perfect sense to me. I don't understand on what grounds they could possibly have turned it over but the story is that it has been by an Obama judge in Kansas City. Uh, this means it's going to get appealed. My guess is that uh, eventually it'll end up in the Supreme Court, and eventually it will be upheld. But we'll try to get to that uh, before we run out of, uh, of program today. And we talked about, uh, in fact, we talked about this with Jennifer about a month ago. Uh, Using Ozempic to lose weight. Um, Turns out there could be some pretty deadly side effects. In fact, as I recall, there was a listener who called up and told us that she had this very problem that uh, these Chinese scientists are saying could develop. And if that's not enough, we'll, uh, we'll talk about Jill Biden. Her husband... Uh, You know that apparently there's uh, a suggestion that somebody over 70 if they want to be president of the United States they should they should take a test cognitive skills find out just you know what kind of shape they're in well Jill Biden responded to that and we're going to get to that I promise you that will happen in the next half hour in the meantime if you've got questions feel free pick up the phone give us a call. 9390 or toll-free 800-529-5572. You can also send me a message. It'll pop up right here in studio. Go to GaryNolan.com, and you can send me a message. And the beauty of it is you don't have to sign up. You don't have to worry about cookies. You don't have to worry about anything that you would if you were sending me a message through Facebook. Just send a message. Gary Sorry? Ah, good. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is uh, 1135. Dave Roland is with us, uh, Uh, mofreedom.org. And he is, uh, well, he essentially wrote the Second Amendment Preservation Act. And it has just been uh, shot down uh, by a federal judge in Kansas City. Uh, it's a 24-page uh, uh, response, and I'm trying to read through it. I don't have a lot of time to do it, but Dave has. And I am sure this is going to be appealed because I don't understand how this could possibly be unconstitutional. Dave, what's going on? What, how did this judge conclude that, that this should be struck down?
2: Well, first off, Gary, let me make clear, this was not unexpected. Uh, We knew when we drew this judge uh, in the federal district court that he was likely to lean against SEPA. He's an Obama appointee. Um, And so we knew that this was very likely to happen at the district court level the question is what's the eighth circuit going to do i don't have any inside information but i believe that attorney general bailey is probably going to appeal this very quickly he's going to ask the eighth circuit to stay the order that the district court issued today. And I think the Eighth Circuit is likely to issue that stay, basically saying, you know, this order is not going to go into effect until the appellate court has a chance to look more closely at the issue. As far as the details are concerned, um, what it boils down to is the judge misconstruing what SEPA actually does. So... The judge came into this opinion and he said, um, you know, well, SEPA is nullifying federal law. It's preventing federal law from being enforced in the state. That absolutely is not what SEPA does. It expresses the opinion of the legislature that Congress's authority is limited, and then it says state and local law enforcement officials and agencies are not allowed to cooperate in the enforcement of these federal laws that the legislature believes are unconstitutional. Okay? It does not prevent any federal officer or official from enforcing federal law. Matter of fact, I made clear when SAFA was first being discussed that Missouri can't prevent that. There was a, a push within the legislature to make it a criminal offense for anyone, including federal officials, to try and enforce federal law. And I told them, you can't do that. That would violate the Supremacy Clause. But it is absolutely within the state's decision-making purview to say, you know what? You guys can enforce federal law on your own dime. You're not going to use our state and local law enforcement agencies or officers to do so. We are going to tell our local agencies and officers, you cannot use the authority the state has given you, the authority or the um, taxpayer resources that the state has given you to enforce these certain laws. And the Supreme Court's been pretty clear that this is a policy choice that states are permitted to make when they disagree with the federal policy.
0: Don't they do this Uh, with marijuana all around the country? Yes. Yes.
2: Absolutely. Uh, that was that was one of the ironies of uh, the state level case, which was brought by St. Louis City, St. Louis County, and uh, Jackson County, is they were complaining about what the state legislature was doing when they had done literally the exact same thing at the local level when it came to federal uh, or federal prohibitions on marijuana st louis city within weeks of filing the case against sapa passed a law that says its local law enforcement officials could not expend taxpayer funds to help enforce federal pro- prohibition against marijuana use and um we pointed out the irony of the city's position in the state-level case. Uh, Apparently, Judge Weems didn't get the memo uh, when it came to uh, the federal-level case. But, um, you know, it is always frustrating from the standpoint of a litigator when a judge misconstrues a statute to reach a certain result. And I think that that's what happened here.
0: You think Um, he did it on purpose, misconstrued on purpose? That... uh, I'm not going to
2: speculate as to whether he did it on purpose. I'm just going to say he did misconstrue the law. Um, So basically, he he takes this statement that the legislature has made about their perspective on Congress's authority, and he acts like that is somehow binding, but clearly it's not, and it doesn't pretend to be. Um, You know, the way that we organized FAPA, the Second Amendment Preservation Act is: we started with a declaration of of policy, like we talked about the idea of federalism, the notion that the powers granted to the federal government are few and well defined, um, and that the people never gave Congress the authority to uh, intrude into the realm of firearms regulation, and therefore the state says. We're not going to, the state is not going to enforce these federal laws. Again, that's a policy choice that the Supreme Court has made, been, made clear states are allowed to make for themselves. The judge looked at that, and he says, oh, well, they're invalidating federal laws. They're preventing the enforcement of federal laws. But it's clear that that's not what SEPA does. The only penalties in the law flow against state and local agencies. It doesn't stop federal officers from enforcing federal law. Again, because we recognized at the outset that we could not do that, that that would violate the supremacy clause. But the judge just kind of skipped over the fact that there's no actual inhibition. um, And he says, well, I think that this is preventing the federal government from enforcing the law. Therefore, I'm gonna strike this down as unconstitutional. So I think clearly um, it's the incorrect result um, I am really interested to see how the Eighth Circuit handles this. Um, I think that the Eighth Circuit is going to have uh, a much, <laughs> a much more accurate view of what Sapa actually does, and I think that that's going to result in upholding Sapa's constitutionality. But you never can tell with the Eighth Circuit. Sometimes the Eighth Circuit, um, you know, goes in a direction that I don't expect them to. So the first big thing to watch for is, number one, how quickly the Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, um, files the appeal here. Uh, I think he will ask the Eighth Circuit to issue a stay so that this district court opinion does not go into effect until the appeal has been heard.
0: Now, does that happen like... Does that happen... Let me interrupt for a second. Will that happen like today, tomorrow, by the end of the week? Uh, How long do you think it would normally...
2: I don't have any inside information. I would be surprised if the attorney general doesn't file the appeal by the end of the week. Um, Now, he's got a lot of time. He's got a couple of weeks, several weeks uh, in which to make the decision and file the appeal. Given the nature of this case, the importance of SEPA and the attorney general's Uh, stated intention to vigorously defend SEPA, that's what makes me think that he's likely to act pretty quickly. So I would be surprised based on the statements the Attorney General has previously made um, that he's gonna move quickly on this. He's gonna make it a priority for his office. But again, I don't have inside information. Um, We need to watch and see, does he actually act quickly or does this kinda get put on the back burner? Um, that may tell us a little more about the actual priorities of the attorney general's office. But but so far, uh, the new attorney general has certainly talked a good game when it comes to SEPA, and I have no reason to doubt his commitment to SEPA. So, um, so that's what we want to watch
0: for. If you just turn the radio on, we're chatting with Dave Roland, mofreedom.org. Uh, dot org. He is an attorney that uh, likes to sue the government to protect your freedom, he helped write the Second Amendment Preservation Act, which a Kansas City, uh, which a federal judge in Kansas City, uh, just tried to shoot down. Uh, and he's telling us that uh, the Attorney General will probably, probably, likely even appeal this, and uh, and see if we can get a stay on this until the uh, the courts uh, get a chance to to hear this. Is this going to be one of those, uh, you know, they have the trial, uh, then they go on bunk, and then they go to the Supreme Court. Is this going to wend its way up? Or do you think that the uh, response from the federal court will be enough to silence the opposition? Um, well,
2: I think one way or another whoever loses this case at the eighth circuit is going to try and get further review whether it's an en banc request for the eighth circuit to hear for all the judges on the eighth circuit to hear the case or whether they go straight to the supreme court and ask the supreme court to take it that's going to depend largely on the quality of the opinion that the uh initial panel produces so as listeners may recall Um, When you go in front of the Court of Appeals, you typically have a three-judge panel that hears the case. They render a judgment, and especially if there's a dissent, if one of the three judges disagrees with the decision rendered by the other two, then um, there's the chance that the entire circuit, all of the 12 judges on the 8th Circuit, will hear the case uh, and, and render a new appellate decision. That's relatively uncommon, but it, it certainly can happen. The Freedom Center has had that happen in a couple of cases. Uh, but the more likely course of action would be that um, whoever loses at the appellate level in front of the three-judge panel goes to the U.S. Supreme Court and says, hey, this is a really important issue that you need to resolve. Now, the Supreme Court does not have to take a case at that point. And what the Supreme Court frequently does is they do not take the first case that presents a particular issue. Um, They may wait and see how different circuit courts of appeal handle this same issue. And as we know, other states have kind of followed Missouri's lead by adopting their own versions of the Second Amendment Preservation Act. So we are likely to see similar cases coming up in other uh, circuits. So the Supreme Court might, in fact, say, well, you know what, we're going to sit on this case coming out of Missouri and the Eighth Circuit until we see what other circuits do, maybe then we will weigh in. But it's impossible to predict. Some issues are so important uh, and so noteworthy that the Supreme Court goes ahead and decides they're going to jump on it at the first opportunity. This could be one of those cases. Uh, Again, a lot of it depends on precisely how the Eighth Circuit ends up resolving the issue. Uh, It may be that um, the Eighth Circuit's decision is really, really solidly reasoned, and there are no dissents. And uh, if that's the case, that's not quite as attractive a case for the Supreme Court to take. But if there are several different opinions, you know, two or more opinions being issued from the Eighth Circuit, that might well make it the kind of case that the Supreme Court would want to act on quickly. Um, but again, we can't know exactly how that's going to happen. What I can tell you is that the Freedom Center of Missouri is going to jump in and file a brief uh, at the Eighth Circuit to make sure that the correct arguments are put in front of them. I don't pretend that the Attorney General's office is going to, um, you know, file a weak brief. I will say I was disappointed in the brief that they filed at the district court, but, but one of the things that the Freedom Center is committed to doing is making sure that there is a clear and vigorous defense of safest constitutionality put in front of the Eighth Circuit. It'd be great if we are just following up the excellent arguments made by the Attorney General's office, but in the event, that um, the Attorney General's office does not submit a particularly strong brief, the Freedom Center is going to make sure that there is a strong brief in the case.
0: Dave Rowland is with us, MoFreedom.org. He is the attorney who helped write the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Rick has a question for you, but we're going to have to put, uh, put everybody on hold for just a couple of minutes uh, for this important commercial break, and then we'll come back... Uh, not let, not like we're really going anywhere, but uh, we will return with Rick's question or comment and Dave's response. On the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. Good morning. It is 1153, and Dave Rowland is with us, MoFreedom.org, talking about the Second Amendment Preservation Act. a piece of legislation that uh, has been challenged uh, in court in Kansas City with an Obama judge. It is essentially a law that says... Uh, Law enforcement at every level in the state of Missouri uh, cannot uh, enforce federal gun laws. But when federal gun laws overlay with Missouri gun laws, they can enforce the Missouri gun laws. I think that's an oversimplification. But Dave, if you want to try and clear that up just a little bit. I'll let you. <laughs>
2: Sure. Uh, I thought we were going to have a question from Rick. Is Rick we his are own? we are, but
0: I wanted to make sure oh, that okay. listeners understood what SEPA is. Um,
2: yeah. So so SEPA begins with a declaration um, that the power of the federal government is limited, and that it does not include the authority to regulate firearms. That was a power that always should have been preserved to the state governments. Um, it then says that the state considers that federal firearm laws do not have any effect and that the state and local law enforcement agencies and officials will not have the authority to enforce those laws. And then it provides specific penalties for state and local officials or agencies that do attempt to enforce these federal firearm laws. Um, so that's what SAPA actually does and where the judge misapprehended it is he says, well, the leg- effectively, the judge says the legislature doesn't have the right to express its disagreement with federal law. That's essentially what the judge says here. Um, the judge doesn't point to any part of SEPA that actually prevents the enforcement of federal law. The judge just really, really didn't like it that the legislature says, hey, we think Congress doesn't have this power. Uh, The judge didn't even pretend that the legislature was actually trying to prevent courts from enforcing these federal laws. Uh, and, And that's what would really be necessary, I think, to demonstrate a supremacy clause violation is if the legislature had somehow attempted to make it illegal or or for the feds to come in and enforce their
0: laws which they didn't do exactly all right let's get rick on the line here because he's had a question rick uh good morning welcome glad to have you on the uh, gary nolan show you're on with dave roland Thank you. First of all, thanks for that explanation. That's one thing I wanted you guys to do, so it made it simple. But let's just say the Feds wanted everyone to have hula hoops, and they were going to enforce that. Would there have to be a state law, or could the state say, you know what, we don't want hula hoops? Would it be on a case-by-case basis, and aren't we whittling down, not necessarily in a good or bad way, the Feds?
2: Um. The, well, the legislatures in the states could choose to make these decisions on a case-by-case basis which is effectively what they've done some states say well we don't like federal immigration law we're not going to assist with the enforcement of federal immigration law some states have said we don't like drug prohibitions that the federal government has put in place we're not going to assist with the enforcement of those so the legislatures can make the decisions on a case-by-case basis Um, as far as the court's treatment of those decisions that should not be on a case by case basis. There should be an overarching principle that the courts apply so that either states have the leeway to make their own decisions on these policies or they don't. And, and the answer that the courts apply should not vary based on the type of policy that's being discussed. In other words, if a state has the ability to refuse to enforce Federal drug laws or federal immigration laws, then clearly the states must also have the authority to refuse to enforce federal firearm laws. You see? I see.
0: All right, okay. Rick. Thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Dave Roland, thank you for coming, uh, riding in on the white horse uh, to exp- explain. What's going on? Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll chat with you on Thursday on Think Tank Thursday. Uh, More freedom. Look forward to it. Dave Roland. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem, grandbaby. Honey, I'm coming home.